welcome for 2017 to the F1 Strategy Report for Apex Race Manager, the mobile race strategy game. On this week's edition, the 2017 season preview, it's a new season of Formula One featuring new cars and new rules, but some things will always stay the same, like Ferrari setting a gratuitously fast lap time during pre-season testing, or McLaren Honda's painfully prolonged reunion. All that and more to come in this edition of the Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato, and after such a long off-season, it is indeed a pleasure to welcome you back to the Strategy Report, and to welcome this man back to the show. You'll recognise his voice from past episodes, as well as being the man behind Apex Race Manager. His name is Nathan Harper. How are you? I'm very well, Michael. How are you? I'm doing very well, because it's so soon till the season starts, finally. Yes. I didn't I didn't think I'd miss Exciting. it that much, considering how long of a year we had last year, but <laughs> it's really, it creeps up on you, and I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to 2017. Very excited. Yeah, it is very exciting. And the last time we spoke, well, it was at the end of 2016, we had a really thrilling yeah. conclusion between uh, Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton. Almost forgot Nico Rosberg's name, because he's retired <laughs> and he's no longer relevant. So so it's been a big off season in that sense, hasn't it? Yeah, it has, um, and and quite a weird one as well with uh, with no champion coming back. Mm. I, I guess it's probably been I don't have the stat to hand, but I, I guess it's probably been a long time since that's happened, right? Yeah, it's not very often uh, that this does happen because normally they spoke. Obviously, they spoke to a whole bunch of people. Spoke to world champions afterwards, going, "Why would he mm. retire? Would you retire?" And a lot of people get bitten by that bug that then once you get one, you want another mm. one. But I I guess it really speaks to a lot of what we said last year about Nico Rosberg that he's such a he's too sensible for Formula 1 and he, he saw right through that <laughs> yeah. and he saw no I've won the championship what else is there to yeah, do that was the thing I've, I've ticked that box and I'm done that's it yeah exactly mm. now he's gonna become an actor or whatever he said he wants to do mm. in his life so good luck with part-time that part-time male model yeah. <laughs> anyone who saw that uh, contract signature video between him and Toto Wolff would that's, mm. that could be his demo reel oh, yeah, really yeah. That, could, that could be clips 1, 2 and 3 Perfect. That was very impressive. On to 2017, where all the action has started because we've done testing. And while testing, of course, this is the asterisk you have to put before anything relating to the preseason, is notoriously unreliable and difficult to read, there are nonetheless some things that you can learn from testing, some things that we can Hmm. see from the numbers and the data. And one of them, perhaps... Perhaps one of the most important ones for this season are the new Pirelli tyres. They've been asked to make them more durable, less prone to overheating that drivers complained about so much last year. And it seems like they've done it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And um, it certainly seems like it's going to fairly significantly impact race strategy this year, which is, you know, a particular interest to us. I, I actually shared a document on uh, 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 earlier this week by a guy called Andrew Phillips uh, from F1 Metrics who has done this phenomenal analysis of the lap times and uh, the fuel loads and all sorts of stuff from Barcelona using current and historical data. And um, certainly what's come out from that is that the tyre deg is going to be really, really low. And they're talking... Um, you know, perhaps less than half what last year's was, down at about 0.07 seconds per lap. So that is, like, extremely low. 
obviously this all comes with, I guess, the again, a testing asterisk that they're testing in what is essentially the middle of winter. Granted, it's in Spain. And Spain, mm. you know, at least it was yeah. sunny. But uh, the temperatures were not quite correct, which means we can't know for sure. But theoretically, if the temperatures aren't correct and the tyres can't warm up properly, it suggests there could even be lower degradation than they experienced there, which would be really something impressive. Or, well, I mean, some drivers might not say it's impressive because there are other tyre brands that have been doing it for a long time, but impressive in terms of the turnaround from last year's tyres. But, and I think this is something we mentioned last year as well, because we have so many complaints about, oh, the tyres go off too fast and not letting drivers race. Lo and behold, Mm. after two days of testing, the first complaints we got were, well, it's just going to be a one-stop race with no overtaking (laughs) now, isn't it? I, I think there's serious risk that that's going to happen this year. Mm. Um, and certainly this, this analysis uh, from F1 Metrics show that, shows that as well, is that most tracks are going to be one-stoppers now. Mm. Um, and, you know, maybe the ones that were seriously three-stoppers last year will end up twos, but uh, most of the others will be ones. Yeah, which is not what Formula One wanted, dare I say, considering there's obviously no refueling in, in Formula One these mm. days. So tyre strategy is really only anything that has uh, cars not only coming out of the pits but can differentiate their pace a little bit other than obviously their car differences. So potentially a bad sign, particularly given in this new regulatory era we have where the aerodynamics have a lot more emphasis. Uh, it means the cars seem to be having more trouble following one another. I think this is something Lewis Hamilton noted very early on, yeah. that because aero is influencing their increase in speed so much, uh, it means that they that overtaking just on its own without the tyre differentiation is going to be really, really difficult this season. Yeah, and I mean, have you seen some of those new front wings? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, they're doing some work, and uh, if they're not getting... Um, you know, straight air and enough of it, then uh, they're not going to be doing anything. Yeah, exactly, which is uh, not not ideal, uh, considering mm. that for the first time in a long time, well, the first time in a good couple of years anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with a long time, three or four years, uh, we've had what looks like some competition at the front, mm. but will that mean anything if none of them can pass one another? Yeah, and I guess the other thing, the other takeout from that was because of that low tyre deg is... Uh, that undercuts just aren't going to work this year like they did last year. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's going to have to be very late in a stint that um, an undercut happens and even then um, the benefit of being on the new tyre isn't going to be enough to, mm-hmm. to really make them work. Yeah, it's a good thing that Pirelli have introduced the, as we saw last year, the three tyre compounds because mm. if it was only a one-stop race with just two tyre compounds then the most difference you could get between cars is either a very long or a very short stint or just starting on the alternate tyre which if you qualify in the top 10 you can't do anyway because you've got to start on the tyre you were in Q2 with. Yeah. Having three tyres does allow a little bit of extra differentiation there, which means maybe that could potentially save us. If we get a car, uh, and I'll point to historically the Force India car of Sergio Perez, who can maybe do the race on the softest tyre only, or the two softest tyres rather than having to use a prime tyre. So there could be some saving grace there, but... Yeah, potentially we could be on for a real difficult season where, at least at a minimum for us, any differences that are made will all be made on the pit ball by some really clever strategists. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. Um, but it, uh, it w- one of the things I'm really interested in seeing is how people like uh, Perez handle these new tyres because mm. they were able to make significantly um, better strategies using their um, very low degradation. And uh, this year it's... Con- 
perhaps going to be emphasised even more. Yeah, I think uh, when we spoke to James Allen last time this year, he seemed to be suggesting that one of the big winners from more durable tyres would be Lewis Hamilton because he's a, a driver who really rings the car by the neck, just wants everything mm. to last. Uh, possibly part of the reason he suffered so many reliability problems last year, but uh, by having uh, harder tyres could potentially influence those drivers who haven't been in the sport for long enough to remember what Formula 1 was like uh, with durable tyres. Mm. So we could see some of the older drivers come to the fore. Uh, I would say Fernando Alonso here, but there are reasons that won't be happening for him. <laughs> Tell me about those reasons, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have time? Gosh, I, don't, I just don't know. I don't know if we've got time to talk about it. Uh, speaking of Hamilton potentially being a benefactor from these tyres, though, we should mention that clutch rules have again changed subtly this mm. year. Last year we saw uh, drivers weren't allowed to be assisted in setting up the clutch on the formation lap. There was no radio talk on the formation lap, yeah. so we saw some variety and Lewis Hamilton suffered a little bit from that he, he got a, a good few poor starts yeah certainly in the first half of the season yeah exa- exactly and this year we could see a similar thing because they've been tweaked a little bit more uh, essentially to make the movement of the clutch paddle because it's by a paddle rather than a pedal uh, completely linear in terms of how much movement the clutch gets so rather than the engineer trying to be able to set up so that when you release the clutch uh, paddle it pretty much goes to where the bite point normally is it has to be completely Completely linear, like a car pedal is. So you need to figure out exactly where the bite mm. point is, and it's it's harder than a car, obviously, because that paddle doesn't move very far. It moves a couple of millimeters. So you need real precision finger movements here to get really good starts. And already, a lot of the drivers are saying that this could really mix things up. Yeah, especially with the gloves on and everything mm. as well, right? It's it's not going to be easy. Well, wasn't it? I think it was Mercedes last year who even reviewed the stitching in their mm. driver gloves to make sure they could get back feel so we'll see how how many inventive ways the teams can come up with uh, to, to, to better benefit their drivers I can't wait to listen to that uh, glove strategy podcast <laughs> I'm going to talk to a chief stitcher it's going to be very yes. exciting stuff but I mean at very least that might promise I mean any car can get a, a bad start equally that uh, some of the faster cars we might find on races falling behind slower cars. And if that means that they struggle to overtake because of these aero rules, well, mm. maybe all these little... Very exciting. These, yeah, all these little 1% of things could actually build up and lead to races that are a bit unpredictable in a way that is very driver-influenced. Yes. Maybe that's how we'll rescue this season. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It's such a shame that this this could be a, a dire strategic season given all the cars are competitive. So let's talk about Ferrari for a moment because mm-hmm. they were the... And I'm going to emphasize quiet here. Uh, feel free to correct me if you, if you think otherwise, though. Uh, achievers, because as opposed to last year, when we all remember President Sergio Macchione coming out and going, well, Ferrari's going to win every race this year. Of course they are. We've got such a good car. This year, they have said almost nothing mm. to anybody. But then... Uh, came out with some pretty reasonable times at testing, right? Mm. In fact, the fastest time of testing, uh, mm. which was on the, the last day or the second last day at the hands of Kimi Raikkonen, wasn't on the softest tyre. I think the lap that did catch everyone's attention, though, was of the previous day where Sebastian Vettel set what should have been an extremely quick lap. So he was showboating, let's say. But then at the very last corner, was like, Mm, I'm not going to accelerate here. So everyone said, oh, well, we all saw what you did there. That was very obvious. But it does suggest that there is a very quick Ferrari taking to this track, which is incredible after last year. It is incredible. Um, But I remember at the start of last year, um, 
there was some similar rumours going around and we even saw situations where Ferrari would come out on the Friday and mm. would be the fastest of the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned out that was all they had for the whole weekend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was interesting to note uh, some Italian journalists, one in particular, uh, believes that Mercedes was suffering from some crankshaft issues, which means they were never able to turn up their engine completely, which is why they were their fastest lap, granted fastest laps don't mean that much in testing, uh, was more than half a second off Ferrari's fastest lap. Uh, mm. But they also suggest this is why Ferrari isn't getting cocky like they were last year because it seems to be that everyone is kind of aware that Mercedes wasn't going flat out during this test and everyone expects them to still be the quickest car even if not by a big margin yeah and there was also uh, if you look at that F1 metrics report there was a run on the final day by uh, Bottas I think um, Mm -hmm. which was phenomenal Um, extremely good lap times it wasn't a long run it was about seven laps but there was absolutely no drop-off lap to lap, mm-hmm. which suggested that he wasn't even pushing. Yeah. Um, and that perhaps they risked the crankshaft issue just on that last day, just to have a little mm-hmm. bit of fun. Um, <laughs> so if that's fixed up by Melbourne, uh, they may well be significantly faster than everyone. Yeah, exactly. And what's going to be fascinating there, we talked a lot in the last season about the uh, strategy of managing a warring Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg as they battled for the championship. How do you Mm -hmm. think Bottas and Hamilton are going to fare this year? Bottas has a lot to prove, given he's been hanging around at Williams for a long time and Ferrari initially really liked him, but then went cold on him when he couldn't convincingly defeat Felipe Massa. And of course, Lewis Hamilton, desperate to get his championship win back yeah honestly I think uh, I think Lewis is going to wipe the floor with him this year oh. I think uh, I think he's got a new car to get used to um, he's you know in my opinion he's clearly a second driver mm-hmm. and he seems like a guy to follow the rules you, you know he's he's not going to go in there he's not going to cause trouble for Lewis he'll he'll play the game he'll he'll do what he's supposed to do and then maybe next year we'll see him uh you know make a serious run it's interesting you you say that uh he plays by the rules i couldn't help but think was it two years ago at silverstone where williams were one two they didn't win the race in the end when it rained but (laughs) bottas was faster and he wanted to pass and they said please don't he said all right. Yeah. He said, all right. Yeah. And it's true. It's, I wonder if, compared to Hamilton, who we know has that killer instinct of disobeying rules, uh, if that could be a deciding factor in this year's battle between the two. Yeah. I mean, he's very compliant. And mm. and I think he's he's going to do that. I mean, Nico was pretty compliant as well until those last couple of years when he, when he went a bit rogue. <laughs> when he when he snapped finally and <laughs> he just started swearing all the time. It was, it was really interesting. <laughs> Got a lot of tattoos. It was a strange strange phase. Uh, yeah. They could be up against, as we said, Ferrari. It's same stations there. It's Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen. Raikkonen seems to be doing a lot better in this car, though. But then again, we he thought does, the same. Last year, uh, last year though he did have a pretty good season, didn't he? I mean, he he, he finished not far behind Sebastian Vettel. Mm. Uh, maybe this could be a rebuilding phase for a former world champion. It could be, and it's especially in one of these cars that you've really got to apparently muscle around the track. Mm. Uh, I mean, that is Kimi's style, right? Yeah, and. Like we were saying earlier, how these tyres and even this style of car could favour those drivers who have been around for a long time, back in the era of the V10s, the V8, uh, well, the earlier V8s anyway. Mm. 
compare that to Sebastian Vettel, who we often still seem to refer to as a bit of an old hand, bit of an old driver, but kind of not really, though, because his successful era was no, yeah. in, what was it, 2010 to 2013, when the cars were all about the blown diffuser, the trick parts and all that kind of stuff, and the Pirelli tyres. Yeah. So I wonder whether that could prove a differentiator in this season when we're a little bit back more to the old school style of Formula One. Yeah, and, and that style where, where Seb was successful was that point where those cars were highly evolved, right? Mm. There hadn't been a rule change for a long time and they were really eking out even the smallest little changes in there. So there was a lot of work that had been done on, you know, drivability and driver comfort and all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. to make them as easy as possible to drive. So back to this real... Uh, ragged sort of style and you know we're talking four to five seconds a lap faster Mm. that's fairly significant Um, and it's it is going to require a very different um, not only style of driving but but way of thinking when you're out on the track as well right yeah absolutely it's going to be yeah it's just going to be more physical overall I think what's been interesting Mm. to note is it's it has been built up a little bit the physicality of the cars I think Nico Rosberg rocked up in the first week of testing and said oh you know races are going to be lost because drivers are essentially going to black out I was like that's extreme isn't it (laughs) with all the g-force yeah I know right it's like essentially it's just as if we're comparing them to going to space which seems a bit it's a bit much in my opinion I love Formula the one i'm the first to talk it up but they're not going into space they're just driving cars uh but i one of the drivers that a lot of people have gone well is he still going to be as good is max verstappen because he's a teenager Mm -hmm. and how much could a teenager handle these cars he doesn't seem to have had very much trouble essentially just going to the gym all summer Uh and getting a bit stronger uh but what will be interesting is again we've said this at the end of last season if Red Bull Racing is on the cusp of winning races because at the moment on the evidence of testing all we can say is that they might be on the cusp Mm. not necessarily in that top fight how will Ricardo and Verstappen shape up? Yeah, yeah, that certainly will be interesting. But, um, you know, he's a fully grown man. Mm. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, just about. <laughs> I'm sure he's quite capable of, of um, muscling the car around. Mm-hmm. Um, and remember that he didn't, he hasn't spent much time in these more highly refined cars. So mm-hmm. um, throughout his development series, uh, you no doubt he was uh, muscling a lot of cars around as well. So I think I think he'll do well. Mm. Um I, you know, as a bit of a Dan Ricciardo fan, I'm very keen for him to do well, and I'm conscious that Max is going to surpass him at some <laughs> point. <laughs> so I kind of feel like, this is your season, Dan. Yeah. Push hard this year, because uh, the young guy's coming. Well, let's hope uh, Red Bull puts together a car for him. Probably worth remembering or pointing out here that Formula One is one of the few categories that does have power steering, as opposed to a lot of the junior series. So oh, yeah, that's true. in that sense, a lot of the young drivers, a lot of people have been quick to go, well, they're not going to be able to handle them. the muscle cars. Uh, probably they mm. actually can, because they've been used to driving in a pretty physical manner, if not a G-force sense, than just a a pure strength sense in the past. So uh, that's just worth noting in all of that chat. And I think uh, just on the Red Bull front, uh, it's worth noting that, uh, you know, those guys could well be significantly sandbagging as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Their their car was very simple Mm -hmm. uh, in testing, and apparently there's a lot more trick bits that uh, 
will uh, make it to Melbourne than uh, what made it to Barcelona. And we expect nothing less from Adrian Newey. Now, we could talk about the midfield, which looks pretty tight. Williams for India. Even Renault, who's taken a bit of a step forward. Toro Rosso to a lesser extent, but that's partly because they've had Renault power unit problems. Good livery from Toro Rosso, by the way. But yes. I want to skip all the way down to the bottom. I want to talk, to, I want to talk about McLaren and Honda, mm-hmm. if we can, because, my goodness, what, what are they going to do? <sighs> <laughs> Poor Fernando. I know. I know. Um, I, I really, I really don't know. I was, I was really surprised. I thought at the least um, we'd see the reliability issues resolved. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, I wasn't expecting them to be fast this year, but to have blown up so many engines already is mm-hmm. just, I mean, it's getting ridiculous. Yeah, it's getting ugly. They used five power units in testing, which is one more year allowed yeah. over an entire season, uh, which is pretty grim. Uh, yes, and they don't count, right? That's no, they I'm don't saying. count. Thankfully, yeah, testing does not count. So. But from Friday, they yeah, count. <laughs> exactly. From this week, you want to be more careful. We'll do yeah. a we'll do a running tally of how many power units they use in Australia, uh, which could be a very depressing tally by the end of it. Uh, Fernando Alonso said uh, he had left it in no doubt that it was all Honda's problems. They have no power and no reliability. They're thirty kilometers down on every straight. Because don't forget, with all this aerodynamics, it is actually more important your engine has more power because you've got. To push a draggier car through all the air uh, mm. so that's a disadvantage for them as well uh, McLaren has used this opportunity over the last two years and now into a third year by the looks of it to say well you know but our chassis is very good trackside observers have said <laughs> no nah, is it though doesn't seem to be that good actually granted if you're not going at full power you're not generating peak downforce so you know we can yeah. give them that but nonetheless the car looked pretty unhappy according to a lot of people who were trackside uh, what I think is fascinating though is at the end of last week so uh, they were just sort of at the end of testing uh, there was all this talk coming out I think I think uh, reported first by Andrew Benson on the BBC mm-hmm. that McLaren has had a, a cheeky chat to Mercedes about Ooh. possibly buying some engines so all that talk about a long-term power unit mm. deal maybe not so mm. long term and even if that's just a strategy to light a fire under Honda yeah. it's still a good one <laughs> yeah yeah either way I think that's a it's, a it's a good business strategy to just get everybody get everybody working a little bit harder as if they're not already um, do you think that um that Mercedes would even consider selling them on I mean they certainly didn't want to give one to Red Bull no that's true uh, and McLaren granted mostly under Ron Dennis was not the friendliest team in terms of their dealings with other teams I wonder with mm. Ron Dennis out of the picture now if that does change anything with Zach Brown who's a very clever businessman he knows his stuff uh, and of course all the other team at McLaren but they need to do something quickly because I think I don't know if we were talking about this last season, but there's no reason McLaren, despite them being the second most successful team in the history of Formula One and long-standing and all that, can't mm-hmm. just become Williams. And I talk specifically, not necessarily of the Williams yeah, at the moment, yeah. because they'd love to be Williams at the moment, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but the Williams of sort of the last decade, because... All this lack of success means you will have noticed that there are very few sponsors on the car. Most of the money yeah. to run that car is coming from Honda. If they drop Honda, they lose a lot of money, have no sponsorship to make it up. They have to start paying for power units again, paying all of their driver salaries because Honda covers about half of that. That's not. Mm, they, they don't right. have that much money. You know, McLaren is a very successful car-making company, but they can't just pump all these millions and billions of dollars into Formula One. There's no reason mm. this can't turn into just another Williams 
story, which is something that really should concern McLaren because, yeah, there's no reason to expect that they'll just get back to being successful. This could be it. This could be McLaren forever. Oh, that's scary, isn't it? It is terrifying. It's very concerning, very concerning. Uh, one more thing I do want to point out, though, uh, moving on from the very upsetting situation at McLaren Honda is Sauber. Mm-hmm. Sauber, I thought, was putting in a very interesting performance in testing because they were extremely reliable. They completed the fourth most number of laps uh, behind just Mercedes, Ferrari and Williams. But they were by far and away the slowest team out there. Mm. They were a full three seconds off the pace, off Ferrari's pace, and even three-tenths down on McLaren Honda. Uh, And this is because they're using a 2016 Ferrari power unit because you remember they almost went bankrupt last year and just needed whatever deal they could do um, to just settle everything down so they could work on their car, start work on this year's car early because last year's car was... You know, not very good anyway. But just as Toro Rosso learned last year, and especially considering engine development so free this year, yeah, um, this is really going to burn Sauber. I think their only hope of scoring any points is if we have a really bad reliability rate. So, so I had this um, underlying thinking based on I've read a lot of reports on on this whole. You know, it's four or five seconds a lap faster, and they're already going faster than the pole time in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. But then I thought, well. Hold on, Barcelona's early in the season, mm-hmm. so really, if if they went back to Barcelona at the end of 2016, they mm. would have been going significantly faster than the, the, the pole time then as well. Mm-hmm. So let's not give all the credit to the 2017 cars, mm-hmm. because they would have been, you know, somewhat faster. But then Sauber pulls out the 2016 Ferrari, which is... <laughs> The, you know, the one from the end of the season, no yeah. doubt, you know, it's, it's the most developed 2016 mm-hmm. engine that Ferrari had after they'd spent their tokens. And guess what? It's not very fast. Yeah, that's actually a really <laughs> good um, point. That's a really good point that does demonstrate how much development uh, the cars have done. In fact, something I hadn't even considered before, yeah. but that really does underline succinctly how much the speed is coming from the cars rather than the upgraded power units. And it shows a bit of both, I suppose, mm. how far they are behind any Ferrari-powered cars. But yeah, if Sauber can beat Lewis Hamilton's pole time last year with last year's engine, then yes, these cars are very, very quick, I think it's safe to say. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Well, we'll get to see all of that unleashed. Uh, Well, this weekend at the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne, finally, we'll know whether Ferrari or how much Ferrari was sandbagging or showboating uh, and how well Mercedes can do and whether or not Red Bull Racing can compete with them. And most of all, what will happen to McLaren Honda? That's the question of the year. I can't wait to find out. Uh, Nathan Harper, though, you've got a big week as well because this week is the release of the 2017 Apex Race Manager game. Yes, it is. Uh, so Thursday is our release day, just in time for the Australian Grand Prix. Um, we've got a whole new version coming out that includes all of the 2017 season, the new cars, um, any new rules, um, and uh, yeah, the whole calendar and the tracks and all that sort of fun stuff. Yeah, and you can play it on the tram on the way to the Grand Prix. I don't know what yes. tram number it is, but you can have a free go. trams. Yeah, yeah, it's all free. Why not? What, are you, what else are you going to do with your time? May as well. When the tram's stuck in traffic, there's nothing to do. Um, so, so it's a good week for everybody involved in Formula One. I think I can't wait to see it get started. Nathan Harper, thanks so much for joining me for this pre-season preview. Thanks, Michael. And that's all the time we have for this first episode of the Strategy Report in 2017. 
The first race, the Australian Grand Prix, is just around the corner, so make sure you find F1 Strategy Report on Facebook and Twitter and find the website f1strategyreport.com. And don't forget the brand new 2017 edition of Apex Race Manager will hit iTunes and Google Play stores this Thursday, so you too can experience all the highs and lows of Formula Racing, from winning a Grand Prix to being Fernando Alonso in 2017. My name's Michael Laminato, you can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you next week for the strategy debrief from the Australian Grand Prix.